Welcome to Innovation Hub. I'm Kara Miller. One thing we know for sure about acquiring skills in any domain is that it takes time. If you're a math person, think about when you felt like you got good at math. If you're a tennis player or a writer or a knitter, when did you get really skilled at those things? Early adulthood, maybe, or maybe earlier, like 13 or 15. Definitely not three. If, uh, you know, you wanted to find somebody who would be, you know, really good at learning to fly a plane, you wouldn't get a toddler. If you wanted to find somebody who is going to be, you know, really fantastic at chess, you wouldn't get a toddler. Like, you have a child, you've spent time with them, you know, they're pretty useless. There's not very much they can do. <laughs> but they can learn language so fast. And why, I mean, and that's the mystery. It seems entirely backwards. That's Joshua Hartshorn, an assistant professor of psychology at Boston College, and me laughing alongside him. The mystery he's talking about is a curious one, because everyone knows kids are good at learning languages, but we don't really know why, and we don't know when that ability starts to diminish. Is there a cutoff? Hartshorn and his colleagues have recently published work aiming to answer that cutoff question, and we'll get to that. But the mystery behind kids' brilliance at learning languages is thornier than you might expect, because when researchers tried to pin down that brilliance, they couldn't. So back in the 60s, sort of the dawn of cognitive science, a bunch of scientists, you know, all had the idea, oh, this would be perfect. We can study why kids are better at language. We'll bring kids and adults in the laboratory, teach them, you know, a little bit of a foreign language, see what kids do better. And the answer is nothing. Kids do nothing better. Now, of course, we know that when young kids move to America, they're generally much better at picking up English than their parents. Over time, you often can't even tell that they weren't born here. Same's true when an American family moves to another country. The kids go to school, and before you know it, their parents' jaws are on the ground listening to their kids speak Japanese or French or whatever. So researchers, in this case at Harvard, thought, great, we will document all this learning happening. It was a good idea, but things didn't exactly go as planned. They followed immigrants over an entire year of an intensive language program. And even at the end of the year, the older teenagers had learned the most, which is actually what you'd expect based on our data now. But the adults, the second most, the little kids who we know are ultimately going to be the best speakers, had learned the least. So whatever is happening, it's happening over a long time period. And that's right now just in terms of the infrastructure and culture of doing science. We don't have good mechanisms for studying people over that range of time. And it's really hard to do controlled experiments. So you can randomly assign somebody to learn this or that language in the laboratory for an hour. It's very hard to randomly assign somebody to learn Turkish for five years and see what happens. They just don't sign up for those studies. Maybe the researchers couldn't see the evolution, but like Hartshorn said, they knew something powerful was happening in the brains of those tiny kids. When I worked in preschool, that's really interesting because there were kids who had just dropped in with no English and they were able to gradually pick up utterances and start speaking. Robert Chudra immigrated to the U.S. from Poland and he now teaches English as a second language to adults. Kids are amazing in being able to detect minute differences. They're just attuned to it. So there I was spending all those years learning English, and kids could tell, even though they were, let's say, four years old. So I spend more time learning English, and then there's a four-year-old who can, you know, precisely pronounce a word that I have, have struggled with after years of studying. The advantage that kids have isn't surprising to Shudra's adult students who take his class at the Boston Chinatown Neighborhood Center. 
not long ago, one of those students had to take her husband to the emergency room. It was stressful and technical and complicated. So she got help from her six-year-old. You know, my English that's not good. So when I first come to the hospital, the nurse, uh, the nurse then asked uh, some question. So some question we, we don't understand what what her the talking about the things. Then my daughter very fast then come in. She say, I will translate. <laughs> she told the nurse, I will translate for my mother. <laughs> Part of the reason you've got six-year-olds translating for their parents at the hospital is that if you spend a little time with English learners, you can see why they'd need help. English, not to put too fine a point on it, is a nightmare. Take the word vegetables, which Diego, who hails from Colombia and is also a student at Boston Chinatown Neighborhood Center, is trying to learn. Vegetables, yeah. But the pronunciation vegetables for me was hard because I don't uh, practice every day vegetables, vegetables. Uh, I can do it. To be fair, English isn't unique. Try learning tones in Chinese or verb placement in German. Pretty much every language is a nightmare. There's many reasons to believe that language isn't learnable. Pretty much the only reason to believe that it is is that people do. But there's you know lots of mathematical proofs that it shouldn't be possible. And it's not actually entirely possible for just about anybody except for young children. And I would like to understand, A, why it's possible to learn at all. And I guess as part of that, what makes kids different from adults that you know, allows kids to do it and adults not. And the first step of that is figuring out when the change is. That's what Joshua Hartshorn, a professor at Boston College, tried to do. He wanted data from people who had learned English, lots of them. He ended up with test results from more than 600,000 learners of English. And they were quizzed about quirky bits of the English language. So, you know, the fact that we say the president instead of not, not just president but we do talk about love, not the love. So even other languages where they also have, you know, the equivalent of the and A, they may not use the and A in the same way. So, and our listeners will probably correct me because I'm probably wrong, but I believe that in Spanish you would say the love is wonderful as opposed to love is. And so that turns out to be something that's very hard for non-native speakers to learn. Hartshorn says the debate before his work was whether language ability falls off at zero, age five, or puberty. He and his colleagues found that if your kid missed that preschool immersion program, it's okay. If they're immigrants and they've immigrated before about 10-ish years old, then we just don't see very much difference between them and people who started at age zero. Even beyond 10, they found, kids continue to learn incredibly well. Why? One idea is it could be because over time people get wedded to a certain way that languages work. And once they learn the Korean system, trying to get them to learn the Spanish system, that's not going to be easy. So that is one of the theories, that it's about um, the first language getting in the way of the second one. It's possible. I'm skeptical of that mainly because of the, the timeline that we saw. So we're saying that you know people who need to start by about 10 years old, that doesn't mean that their ability to learn goes down at 10 years old. Because if it did go down at 10 years old, then given that learning takes a while, they actually wouldn't have enough time to learn. So what we're actually seeing is the ability to learn grammar at least seems to drop around 17 years old, 17 to 18 years old. It's just that you have to start by about 10 in order to have enough time to get to native-like proficiency before your learning ability starts to fall off. So given that, it seems very unlikely that the um, interference from the first language is going to kick in at 17 or 18 years old. I mean, you've 
learned quite a lot of your first language well before that. It doesn't make it impossible. There are mathematical models under which this could happen, but it seems less likely to me than something changing biologically in the brain or potentially something about uh, the difference in your environment. So adults who are learning the language go about it in a very different way from children. So I wonder about your view on this. Um, There has been in America a rise in Mandarin immersion and Spanish immersion preschools. If you learn Mandarin in preschool, but nobody at home, let's say, speaks Mandarin, um, do you think that's still an important step towards, like, speaking Mandarin yourself? It depends. So I actually haven't seen the research on how this turns out. Um, One of the things that people run into is, again, what you want your kids to do and what they want to do aren't always the same thing. And something that a lot of bilingual households run into is, so usually there's, in a bilingual household, if you're not living someplace like Catalonia where everybody is bilingual, you have like a, you know, a home language and then the dominant community language. And once the child figures out that their parents speak the dominant community language, they'll just stop speaking the home language. Because children are not that interested in doing what their parents do. They're interested in doing what their friends do. This is why they don't grow up with the accents of their parents. They grow up with the accents of their friends. So if there's other kids speaking the language, then they'll keep speaking it. If there aren't, that usually doesn't go very well. And so one of the problems, I think, with immersion programs often, not just in America but elsewhere, is if all the kids speak a community language, that's what they're going to speak on the playground, not the thing that they're being taught in school. Hmm. So to that point, we heard from the ESL teacher before, and I want to play you another clip from him, which I thought was really interesting. And I mean, of course, when we think about language acquisition, we think about the brain and, you know, stages that the brain is going through and kind of this linear thing. But he sort of makes his argument that it goes maybe beyond just capability to drive. Like, what's your drive to learn the language? And uh, yeah, let's take a listen to that. If you have somebody younger, it's different because they need to fit in. They need to be become part of and integrate to a much greater extent than than somebody who comes here who's older. So the stakes are a little bit higher. And it, we we talked to a Chinese student in the class who said, you know, for the first little while when I was here and I couldn't really speak English, I just shopped in Chinatown. Like I just I just kind of shopped at places where I didn't have to really go outside my comfort zone. I could speak Chinese to them and that'd be fine. Um, but I think it's really interesting what he identifies that it's not just like a biological thing. It's also this kind of pressure to fit in that maybe older people don't feel. Mm. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that's got to be part of it. The question is sort of how much It also doesn't have to be like an either or in the sense that, I mean, why do kids want to fit in so much that if that is biological, that can be like the the mechanism that results in the better language learning and then sort of like everybody is right. But I think one thing that kids don't have control of that adults do, which I suspect is really important, is that children have a lot less control over their environment. So again, like the child cannot choose to only hang out in Chinatown. Like they're in the school that they're in. They've got to make friends there. But yes, who absolutely is an expat can just hang out with other people uh, who speak your language and avoid the rest of the community a fair bit of the time. And since that's so much easier and adults are busy doing other things, you know, a lot of people are going to go that direction. I mean, certainly my non-English languages would be much better if I committed to really speaking them all the time and and I don't. 
That's Joshua Hartshorn, an assistant professor of psychology at Boston College. Josh, thank you so much for being here. Well, thanks for having me. 